Hey everyone, I'm Kari. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSI Talk. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another week, another episode of CSI Talk. We hope you had a wonderful week or or day so far or night so far. Before getting to today's episode, this is a safe space for you. So whenever you want to come here, just to shut up the world and just, you know, listen to two girls talking about their favorite time show, we got. Just before we started recording this episode, a new promo for... CSI Vegas season two came out and it's longer than the one that we got before. And I, I've just seen it right before we started recording and I already got some theories in my head. But remember, we got to wait for those theories. We got to wait for this series because we're going to have a proper episode. I, I think you like it. Uh, next week, week, right? Yes, next week. Next week, we're going to have some theories, but we do see Catherine, and we have a lot of female characters this season, which is really good. Something, like Penny, I think Penny's going to make a breakthrough because there's a scene that she's in the morgue, looking at the four victims of the serial killer, I think. And I'm just saying, just stating this now, if anything happens to Penny, Jason Tracy, if anything happens to Penny... I hope you're ready to pay my therapy bills because if something happens to her, she's, she's like, she's the cinema role of CSI Vegas, okay? So nothing can happen to her, okay? Nothing bad. Nothing bad at all can happen to her. Do you hear me? Okay? Nothing bad can happen to my girl. That's my girl, okay? She's, she's, Max, she's my daughter. I mean, they kind of have, like, a mother and daughter relationship, right? Max and Penny, so. Nothing bad can happen to her. Please, 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 please. Okay, I've made my statement. This is my statement. But we do see a lot of new things. Some things that I got it wrong from the first episode, because from the first promo, because we see stuff with a lot more, with a lot more light. Right now, like, literally likes, and there is a lot more stuff to break down, like, I've just seen it, and I think they're really jumping on this gruesome stuff, because I cannot get it out of my mind, like, that body covering paint, but when they try to take the paint off, the paint away, all they see is bone, so I don't know if... The killer took the, the skin and the muscles and the organs out and just covered the body with paint or, or cement or, or something like that. I don't know. This is just, you know, things on the top of my head. They're coming out right now because I just saw the promo, but I love the female presence in this season. I think. Yeah. 
that's really good, especially for the fact that there's this new generation of fans watching this show, you know, those girls, these, well, 13-year-old girls watching this show right now for the first time, not knowing what CSI was in the past, but looking at CSI right now and seeing those women in position of power, you know, being a CSI, being a, a lab director, just they're going to be like, okay, if she can do that, so can I. And that's really important. It's really important. You know, in the past, we had a Catherine and Sarah, mostly Catherine and Sarah. We did have Morgan and Pam, you know, down Sophia. Sophia, I know we had. Right. We, we had a lot of female presence, but not so much like in the same team to working together. So I think it's going to be really, really good for those new viewers to watch that and see themselves own those characters. But okay, enough with season two. Let's go back to the past. What are we talking about today, Green? Red Room. Red Room. Season seven, episode 13. Well, Red Room is a play on the word murder. Made fame, and that play was made famous by Stephen King in one of his books. Yeah. It, it, it makes a lot of sense because the whole thing, and the, the whole theme of this episode is reverse forensics. Look, I try to research reverse forensics to try and come up with a simple explanation as to what it is. I mean, the definition, although it's pretty self-explanatory in the episode but okay let's talk about this episode so this episode begins with this voiceover of a radio show about the death of assemblyman called Danilo Zemeska whose son had died a year ago so he wanted to he declared war on drugs, and he went after the drug, drug suppliers and traffickers. So it is shown on the on the flashback of the crime, what it happened. He pulled out alongside another car in the middle of the night in the desert. You know, not suspicious at all. And the person on the other car is holding a large drink cup in the in the picture and he has the picture to Zoeska who rips the picture apart and a piece of the picture falls to the ground and then there is a in the picture is that it is important in the picture there's a hand of a woman with an astrology sign tattoo on her arm it's a Scorpio and later in the episode, they make a they make a play on the fact that Pluto is not a planet anymore. So, I mean, if the CSIs are saying that Pluto is not a planet, so I mean, it's not a planet, right? Nope. It was, and I'm thinking it was declassified around this time, the time this episode was either made or aired, because it was declassified around this time. I remember. Learning, watching it on the news before school. I was in elementary school then. 
Yeah, I remember learning about the solar system and the teachers. There, there wasn't a saying in the books. The teachers had to tell us that Pluto wasn't a planet anymore. And I was just glad that I didn't have to memorize the name of another planet, to be honest. And then, when Zimis is out walking away, the killer dropped his drink and shot him. And Zimisca managed to get, into, to get into his car, but then he's shot again two times, and then he died. And then Nick is called to the scene, and on the next day, Nick's called to the scene, and he takes pictures of the torn picture on the ground and the drink, and with the bullet case, and not the bullet case, and then the ground. And then Nick takes pictures of the body and finds a bag full of drugs and the patches are seeds. I mean, this politician was fighting against drugs, but there was drugs on him. So Nick realizes that the evidence suggests that the killer ran back to his car. So Nick photographs his shoe prints and then Catherine is lifting the tie impressions. And she found a bit of foam next to the tie impression. Okay, so in the lab, they take prints from the nine millimeters shell cases and the cup straws. So let me just say something. Nick, my boy, where are your gloves? Where? They don't look, they don't always wear gloves. I mean, that's really, I mean, I don't know what is worse. The CSI is not wearing gloves and some epsils or the, the, <laughs> or the BAU team, but in criminal learnings, picking stuff with the gloves, not wearing the gloves, but, you know, just using the gloves to, you know, Big stuff from the ground, like, what is so hard about putting the gloves on? Well, so if they're not always wearing the gloves, they could have a skin allergy. No, I know, but like, we don't know that, okay? I mean, the Nick is a CSI, he's been working for God knows how many years inside a lab. I'm he talking about the being a part. Yeah. Well, so they realized that both of the prints they found on the bullet, on the shell case, and, and the cup belonged to Thomas Simon, who was the biggest drug trafficker on the West Coast. But when they tried to arrest him at a club he owns, he has been gone for weeks. That means that the CSI probably had the problem. The CSI probably took weeks to process everything. Well, you know, or it does maybe take. He didn't show up in the clubs. But it does take a while for results to get back. Yeah. Okay, so cut to Catherine Kapler, Grass, and McKean. All having breakfast and talking about the case. And Martin is pissed that even though they had evidence against Thomas, they couldn't arrest him. And then Kepler just suggests something a bit unorthodox, you know, that 
my work or my not work, but it's something that he's done before. And it could bring this guy out of, of hiding. And could the reverse forensics be a hint of his dirty past? He knows how to fake a crime scene, which academically speaking, you talk about reverse forensics. I tried to, to search that, as I said before, but I couldn't find a lot of stuff on it. I did find a YouTube video teaching how to do reverse forensics when it comes to money. I think there's a lot of crimes involving money, so they have to do reverse forensics all the time. And the thing about reverse forensics is they have to fake a crime scene to make the suspect think that he's off the hook. So everything has to be done by the book, but it is on a need to know basis. Catherine tries to convince Capo to let her let the team in, but he says no. This is not going to be a pleasant Kepler episode with me. Let's just say that. Okay, look. I think that would have worked a lot better if everyone was in on it. Because all of them have an area of expertise. So in order to freak a crime scene like that, they would need all hands on back and know everything. Even the coroner would have to be here on it, you know, just so everyone knows. Like, if a body is found, like, the coroner would have to say stuff like, okay, but then this amount of blood would be on the passenger seat and that organ would be, would be head and all. There's going to be, I don't know, bones in it, something like that, to work perfectly. But Kepler told Catherine that it would be on a need-to-know basis, so only him, Brass, McCann, and Catherine would know what was going on. Even though they were supposed to let the DA in on what was going on. Well, McCann is shady. He was shady back there before. The CSI spent down how shady he was, so I don't think it's a long way to think that Christian probably had something on the DA, probably would say some stuff like, okay, if you don't do this for me, if you don't let the CSI fake this scene to break this guy in, I'm gonna... No, he did not let it all the way in. Because he just was not trustworthy of the DA because he did not trust anybody who was not in the syndicate. So, Catherine, although reluctantly, accept to do that, to do the reverse of forensic stage. And although this is a whole Kepler arc, everything like this couple episodes with Kepler and William Peterson's name is always shown on the on the opening credits, but he's not in the episodes. He was doing the play at the time that he, at the time that those episodes were shot. So he made a deal that would have to happen. And there's a lot of, I mean, the thoughts on Kepler 
Well, we can talk about Kepler later. Um, so, back in the lab, Kepler is trying to get Zemeska's file, and Warwick catches him in the act. <laughs> and then Kepler makes fun of dyslexics. I... Oh, God. Don't get me started. If he could have literally said, oh, you're, you know, the way you keep your files, it's really messy. You should probably hire someone to organize this on alphabetic order or the date of, of death or something like that. But Sarah catches Kepler and, Ka and Kepler putting a sheet to block out a window in the lab because the lab is all made of black. I, I'm glad they kept that aesthetic on CSI Vegas. And then when she asked Catherine what's going on, Catherine said that she cannot talk about it. And that scene, Sarah is carrying this this box that Grissom sent it to her. <laughs> and also, Paul just mentions he does not trust Kepler. You know, and a few seconds earlier in that same scene, it's shown that Hodges is on the phone with someone to try get info on Kepler. Mm-hmm. Couldn't he just Google it? I mean, I understand what he was doing, but couldn't he just Google it? <laughs> Probably harder to track. Yeah, Kepler was would be maybe Hodges had already tried that. I mean, he did work on with the LVPD, so he could have called in a favor from someone in the station or something like that. Well, and also Hodges tells tell Sarah, if you have dirty laundry, I hope you use bleach or something like that. Look, I don't know if they, they were hinting on the fact that Natalie Davis was using bleach. Like, every time she saw bleach, it was something that would trigger her to kill someone. I think it was. I mean, it could be. It could be because Hodges is the one who ended up finding the bleach connection, right? And honestly, this is this was not the last last time Hodges mentioned bleach. In Monster in a Box, that he mentions how bleach can help keep flowers alive longer. And that was before the discovery that bleach was used in the crime scenes. Yeah. Audrey was really into something. I think that's why season seven is so beautifully written. You know, everything connects and makes sense. So Brass is, you know, back in the streets, Brass is confronting a drug, a drug dealer called Edward Dennison in an alley and says that he can get a new opportunity in life somewhere else if he agrees to be the patsy for this reverse forensic thing. So everyone had a part to play. Uh, McKean had to let them do their job. Catherine and Kepler were going to the crime scene and Brass had to get somewhere to be the patsy. Okay, 
I just realized something in my, it's totally not, it's totally, it, it could be just a coincidence, but okay. So we all know, I mean, if you don't, that's okay. Grissom's last name was not going to be Grissom's, right? Nope. And he chose Grissom in the honor of this astronaut and that was chosen for the first moon exploration program by NASA. Mercury Project, if I'm not mistaken, there's a great documentary on National Geographic about them. And great podcast, by the way, called Moonrise by Watch the Books. That's totally, we're not being sponsored by them. I'm just saying because I, I listened to that podcast. And Kepler, you know, was a, was a huge scientist, right? He, he, wasn't he the one that discovered the planets, how the planet moves and all that? Because there's like this was a fabler. So I don't know, maybe, I mean, they're want to something here. You have Grissom, who is named after an astronaut, and Kepler, who's named after a scientist. Although Kepler, the scientist, was with only one P. Kepler is with two Ps, but... Okay, coming back to the episode, so... Oh, totally unrelated to the case, but Sarah goes to the locker room and opens the box that Grissom sent to her and it's a butterfly. It's a cocoon, actually, not a butterfly ad. It's moth. I think it's like a moth, moth cocoon. Yeah, I want to know that because I'm, I'm really scared of moths, but okay. I mean, that's romantic, I guess. I mean, well, you... because if you think of the time of year that the cocoon was a good sized cocoon, and where it is, it's probably a moth. If there's any entomologist on this who can prove me wrong, go ahead. I mean, they said in the episode that it was cold, so it's probably winter, right? It is. If you if you know the if see episode thirteen, the thirteenth episode's usually sometime in January. Yeah, so, so you're probably, it was probably a moth, but I, I think that's, I mean, I saw it on Twitter, I'm not sure that's how that butterfly symbol for GSI was born. No, that, I would think that would be from season four episode. Yeah, but I saw it a word that it was from that act, like where some sending her a cocoon. And also Sarah has a butterfly tattoo on her ankle. Yeah. So, okay, Sarah's called to an apartment. And it's really funny because in that episode, everyone has something to do to to keep them out of the lab. So Catherine just gives Warwick and Nick, like, you just have to process those stolen bikes somewhere. And Nick is so mad that he has to stay around and process some stolen bikes. And while... Sarah and Greg have to look after a DB. So Sarah and Greg, they are called to an apartment where the body of a female victim is found. Big day puts the time of death at at least 48 hours before because of the early stages of Morba. Uh, and on, on scene on the nearby table, Sarah sees a lot of drug paraphernalia around. And the, the drug seems to be heroin. 
The victim eventually is identified as Monique Carter. They, Greg is the one who identifies her because he's processing her car and he finds letters that was emailed to her. Because she was not paying her lonely dues. And they found track marks on Monique's arms as well as these Corbio tattoo. And then Sophia realizes the amount of food at the apartment. And Sarah's like, well, maybe she had a roommate. She did, all right. She did have a, she did have a, a roommate. And with the Scorpio slash Pluto that Sarah finds, she's talking to Super Dave, and Super Dave gets this conspiracy hat on. Well, back in the lab, Catherine lays out all the evidence from the Zemeski case. Oh, you know, true impressions, giant impressions, double soda cup, and the plastic bag of drugs. And then she also noticed that there is that 9mm bullet shell casing. So they had to use a 9mm. So the victim that was going to be used is another cover cop called Ezekiel Holstein, who donated a pint of his blood to help them with taking the scene. So Kepler tells Catherine that one of the CSIs will have to process the scene to make everything look legit. So she thinks that one of them is going to figure it out, that everything was, was fake. But Kepler tells her that they have to be away from the car because the recreation will be less than perfect. So we cut to Catherine spraying the blood on the passenger seats with Ezekiel's blood. Okay, I'm gonna talk about this later. So Dave is watching Monique's body in autopsy and he realizes there's a wound on her skull that would be consistent with the impact from a weapon. And Harry finds out that there's a mix of heroin found in her apartment that is consistent with the it's a co it's a cocaine, heroin, and meth mixture. Yep, it is the same thing found in Zemeska's car. And then he tells Catherine, and uh, he and then Catherine tells him to step out of the lab. And then when he leaves, she collects a piece of drug. And puts it on the plastic bag. Never mind that that was Sarah's case, right? Okay. Yep. And also, when Kepler starts to mess with Barbie's gun, she hodges Butson, thankfully, because Dawson does not like that happening ever since the accident of just charged in season five. Yep. And in the desert, Catherine and Clefley start to stage the crime scene. And then the Patsy Edward is drinking from the soda cup, and Catherine is photographing a bloody Ezekiel in front of the car seat. And Kepler breaks the driver's side window. Catherine threw a bullet in the passenger seats. And, and then Kepler basically calls the night shift stupid because the reason our reverse forensics didn't work before was because of smart cops. Yep. And then Edward 
drops his soda cup to the ground, and Kepler notices that the way it lands, and says that Thomas also dropped his cup in the same exact way, and and he wasn't expecting any trouble. And then he figures out that Plan A was the blackmail photography picture, the blackmail picture. When Zemeska didn't give in, Thomas decided to go to Plan B, to Plan B, which was murder. And Kepler sets the stage and calls the police. Russ is standing next to Kepler and says that he is on the way with Catherine and Kathleen and Kepler. So Catherine calls Warwick. Which, which to me, means that she thinks Brock is not as smart as Nick or Sarah or Greg even. I think Warwick would bring, we talked about this last night in the I think Warwick brings a lot of more muscle than the other CSIs. If Nick was the one who was called to the scene, it was a kid is odd. Because he literally just processed a scene like that weeks before. And also he would say, okay, so now we have two serial killers. We have one, the miniature, and now we have this one. So apparently is killing drug users. Although Warwick seems a bit suspicious, Kevin was like, oh, just process the, the, just go and process the perimeter. Warwick didn't ask anything. If Nick was there, he would have probably asked something. Although he is not the one who's going to question a supervisor, he would think that is odd. Yes, because in the next scene, Nick notices Greg and Tara talking about their case on the cap evidence while while was being removed. Yep. In the autopsy, Doc Robbins is telling Sarah everything that he found on her victim. And then he tells Sarah that Monique's head wound is consistent with a fall. And the drugs in her system were injected after her death. And when he's trying to tell Sarah everything, Catherine calls her. Catherine calls him and... He gives her permission to move the body at the crime scene after she took pictures from it. There was literally no body at the scene, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And while, while looking for most of the call, Sarah discovers that Monique's driver's seat is too far back for a woman. So she concludes that someone else was driving it. Nick, the Nick tells Kepler Catherine woke about all the connection he's seen. Catherine, of course, denies everything. And that's when Nick goes to Doc Robbins to ask for any updates on the Holstein case. And Doc said that the body hasn't come in the mortuary yet. Because he's prepping Monique's body, and Nick notices the Scorpio tattoo on her arm. And he realizes that is the same woman from the picture found at the Zemeska seat. 
in course, Catherine talks about how she hates lying to the team. Borg knows something is up because he looks at the bullet and discovers it's clean. Yeah. Nick wants to look more deeply, but Catherine orders him to back off. Then, after all of that happens, Nick calls a secret meeting outside with Sarah, Greg, and Walk about all the connections. After Nick mentions evidence missing, Walk informs that Catherine moved it to secret hoarding. Nick steps into assistant supervisor mode. Before becoming team, as trust issues form, Nick starts to agree. Walk first, Sarah, then Greg. I think Greg was a bit on the fence about doing it. Yeah. <laughs> then Nick goes to the impound lot, all cowboy-like. I, I think Greg was in the fence about doing it because he was the newer CSI at that point. He had been CSI for less than two years at that point. Yeah. And then the, his boss is literally doing something against their backs. And, and the, he's probably, you know, like, well, there's something here. We need to investigate this. And Greg's like, okay. Yeah. Then <laughs> Sarah, ah, then Nick calls Walk out the impound lot. Sarah goes to Grayson's office. To grab the keys, she goes on the desk, moves something, which I think is a skull of some sort, now that I'm older. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to think it was a cup that guys wear to protect themselves from playing sports. After Sarah goes to work... Okay, uh, we're not going to talk about the fact that Sarah knew exactly where the key was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Grism told everybody but Greg. Because Grissom seems like a trusting boss. I think that's the same. Is that the same drawer that he casts that rosary that belongs to his mother? Yes. I think that he specifically told Sarah where that he was. Also, yes. I'm not sure if he would told if he would have if he would have told. Because Warwick or Eckley or Oh, not Eckley. I think Catherine knew because she had to step in whenever he had to go out. And Sarah knew because, I mean, it was Sarah. It was not like Russell could keep anybody from her. Yeah, and then when Sarah goes to walk, she hates deceiving people. Really, Sarah, you hate deceiving people. You've been in a secret relationship for basically two years at this point. Uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> well, that's right. You get what you get like, because it's not like they could come out and say that they were together. I mean, one of them will lose their job, and it most likely would be her. Yeah, and Nick starts to run some of his own tests. Hodge comes in, tells Nick that he's favored in the IAB pool. Hodge is the second, and then Gris is third. And, of course, then they just talk, say, hey, we should loop Brass in. But then Walk discovers that Brass is in because he's talking to Catwater. And after every, after they finish processing things, they find out that McKean screwed it up because he didn't clear it up with the DA. The team meets, and Kepler tells them about reverse forensics. 
Greg being Greg mentions that they would still be able to figure it out because that's the job. I mean, that's their job, but they couldn't figure it out. They risked having Sarah were dating for two years. I mean, that's yeah. their job. Then Nick tells Catherine that she should have told them because they're supposed to trust each other with their lives. Catherine asks her how she fears, feels, and I think this is where Sarah learned not to let her emotions really show to a supervisor like she did in the past. Well, Catherine did throw her under the bond once, so. Mm-hmm. And then I Catherine. I think it was about not, not getting to emotional ways from supervisor. I think she. They had only seen now with Bristol because with Bristol was completely different. She was in love with you. Yeah. And well, they know that well then Catherine mentions that they can't get Paul Simon or Philip Simon what, what Simon Thomas, sorry. Thomas Simon on Zemeckis Motor, but they could get on Mini Carters. So Nick and Sarah Go back to Monique's residence, pull out the mattress and discover prints on it, and they run the prints and figure out it's Simon's. So he was then, behind everything. So. Yep. They finally get him, arrest him, and then at the end, well, near the end, because there's two more scenes after this, the case Kevlar talks about to Catherine, where he becomes a dirty cop on that will would lead to his death in episode 15, Law of Gravity, because he talks about how it was a friend of his that was killed, and, you know, it was his girlfriend, fiance. Then Rourke asks Nick out for a drink, and Nick says no, which Rourke tells him to let it go. I think Nick had a lot of problems about letting go. I think think that's when he starts question whether he should be working keep working on the lab he only he only questioned after that in four to five seasons later yeah i think i think he he was heard about what happened he was not even about the fact that he brought this uh he was about the fact that Catherine didn't tell this yes so I, I feel like there were, uh, her, his relationship with Catherine, I think he felt like somehow he couldn't 100% trust Catherine after that happened because, I mean, they are kind of crime fighters. I mean, they, they go into some situations that they have to trust each other to make it out alive. How can he trust her? After she's going dad. I think yeah. we know that maybe maybe Sarah was not in communication with Bristol during that sabbatical, but maybe after everything was sorted out, maybe she because her few episode later is when Bristol comes back. Work asks Bristol if he knows anything about with Bristol insects. But I feel like Sarah would have told Grissom after, after they talked about the relationship and everything. She would have told Grissom, okay, this happened with Pepper and this and this and that. 
Catherine Catherine Cavalier did this called this thing called Supposed Forensics, which is to take a crime scene and all that. And then uh, we can't, we feel like we cannot trust her right now with this, but now she's is dead, so we don't know what to do. Some try to see something like that. Yeah. Do you think that he would have had everybody come to the diner to talk it all out? Maybe not the diner. Maybe they would have gone like somewhere else. Well, because maybe not the diner, but definitely not his place. I mean, I don't think they would have gone to his place. I'm pretty sure Sarah had some stuff there. I think because I think they were living together by then. Yeah, so so they were probably being at I don't know a park or or something like that, or or you know somewhere that wouldn't resemble anybody they wouldn't remember that about no i mean like the whole team together yeah and they would have to talk to you now because i feel like after what happened to nathan grave danger they had to change their dynamics a bit they had to learn how to trust each other with their wives essentially because in their line of work if they didn't trust to each other, they could literally die. They had to rely on each other. Because, I mean, yep. look at what had happened to Nick. And then Chandler shows up, although he was on a temporary basis. And people couldn't really see through him and all that. Okay, he's their leader with that. We have Catherine Philly for him. And then she does something without telling everyone. I think they would understand that, okay, it had to be on a need-to-know basis. But Catherine, Catherine didn't know that if he could trust them. But Catherine knew that she could trust them. Catherine should have given them a heads up or something. Maybe they... I feel like they would have, like, this long conversation about... Not trust, about communication. I feel like I've said this a hundred times already on the show. That, I mean, if they're a leader, Gilbert's and couldn't communicate, couldn't communicate exactly what he needed to say, what can we expect after they're not telling them about something she was going to do with Kepler. But also, a lot of times people learn communication from how they grew up. Yeah, I, I know. So it's not really at all on Grism for how adults communicate when he's not around. These guys are above 25 years old. Some of them are above 40, I think, at this time of this episode. Majority of them, actually. I mean, Catherine was, I mean, not Catherine, Sarah was on her mid-30s, early 30s, late 40s, early 30s. Nick about mid thirties also. So okay, so most everybody was mid to late thirties, some were above forty and fifty. But still, these are grown adults. Past the age where the brain should be fully developed. They should know communication skills. Unless they're socially awkward, like Grissom. Yeah, I know. I mean some of them were turbid, some of them that were extroverts, all that. It's just in their line of work, they have to trust each other with their lives. It's literally their lives. 
And like that impact that when Nick said, we have to trust each other with our lives. He actually meant that because he literally almost died a couple seasons earlier. Yep. He trusted that all of them would find him in time before he died. Not find his body. And then a couple years later, Catherine pulls this BS with some guy they barely know. And not tell, not, not say, say some, something like, okay, me and Kaplan, we were working on catching this guy. So this drug dealer. So, uh, don't ask any questions. I'll tell you all when I care. But she didn't even say that as far as we know. So, okay. What are we talking about next week, Bree? So we're doing a very quick, quick recap on season one. And we're talking about our season two theories. Which I already have a couple. I just haven't mentioned them. To work online. And I haven't even mentioned what my series are yet. Really? She hasn't even told me. Nope. She hasn't told me. Like, do you all feel me right now? She hasn't told me about my (laughs) about her series. I haven't come up with any yet. She has a few already, and she hasn't told me. Oh, good evil laugh. Oh, well, okay. Okay, by the time this episode airs, my breakdown is going to be up. So I'm going to leave a link on the descriptions for y'all to, to check it out. Season 2 of CSI Vegas comes out on September 29th. It's a Thursday, so watch watch the show, please. If we're going to get a... I think we're going to get 18 episodes. I mean, it's rumored that we're going to get 18 episodes. Probably a Halloween episode as well. Especially with so, the promo that's just dropped. The promo that's just dropped has a lot of Halloween vibes. You know, they could have put the the soul, like this new song that Muse put out called You Make Me Feel Like It's Halloween. So, oh, they could have <laughs> done the Halloween thing. Oh, that's a psycho thing. That too. Yeah, that's really that. That is nightmarish, Brie. What? <laughs> okay. So, if you have any any thoughts, any ideas, any suggestions, feel free to reach out to us on our DMs or on our email, yeah. and we're gonna talk about it and see if we can do an episode about it. But this next couple of weeks, we're going to be just talking about season two. We're going to be doing the breakdowns and all that. And so. the reason why we never t- never mentioned email or text us, what message us on our Twitter is because of the Twitter limits. Yeah, and Twitter is a wild place. This is so very, very. Please feel free to reach out. We're gonna we're going to answer you, okay? We love you guys. So much. love y'all. Okay, bye. Bye.